Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, January 31st with Pete Sampson of The Athletic. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated. Not a lot of breaking news here as uh, the the as January comes to a conclusion. We get into February. Uh, James Laurinaitis, Notre Dame's linebacker assistant, has left to go back to his alma mater. Uh, Justin Scott, Notre Dame's big five-star recruit that everybody's been hoping to get a verbal commitment from, did not make the trip into South Bend last week, uh, this past weekend. Uh, we've got some interviews coming up here that that I'll talk about, but uh, Laura and I is leaving. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It is a grad assistant. He was a great football player, uh, but Ohio State lured him back. That's not a real shock, I think, to any of us. Uh, so Notre Dame will have to find a replacement at the at, at the linebacker spot. And I think. Uh... You said there's not breaking news. There was supposed to be breaking news because we were supposed to be having this podcast tomorrow. And that, that was supposed to be the breaking news okay. we were hoping for uh, right. was was talking about a commitment. Yeah, it's uh, it's never a great thing when it's postponed. That's how I look at it. It's not a death knell when, a, when it's postponed an announcement. But when you're when you're confident someone's going to choose your school, albeit 11 months prior to it mattering nowadays, and they postpone it. It could be either a very mature decision and a great idea, and you got to keep recruiting him, or it's that plus bad news. Right. We, we would have been we would have been told it didn't matter if he did commit. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a good point too. It's, but yeah, but, now, nowadays it really feels. I don't, that way. but I don't agree with that line of thinking. No, it's better. It's better if he commits. Yeah, it's better I mean, if he commits. Yeah. Pete, Pete, go ahead. No, I would say it, it would matter if he committed. Um, <laughs> it's not good that he didn't, or that he didn't visit. Um, I think the idea that, you know, like everyone in the Goog still feels confident is not necessarily accurate um, based on the people that I talked to over there. So it's I, it just is a reminder, 342,512, that if you're going to recruit five star prospects, you got to have the stomach for this kind of stuff. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, this is all due respect to people that cover recruiting and the predictions that they make, because that's like that's their job. Um, but when those come out, I think that the the readership or listenership has a hard time with the uh, okay things changed because there's our high school kids and things change and especially with five star high school kids, um, you know it's like when what were there eight crystal ball predictions for guys to commit to Notre Dame? This was always the outlier, but it was sort of grouped with all the other ones. Um, you know, the Bryce Young crystal ball prediction for Notre Dame is not the same as Justin Scott's uh-huh. crystal ball prediction for Notre Dame. And I think it's just it's just a, a reminder that you got to have uh, a real constitution to uh, follow recruiting in 2023 when it comes to five star prospects. Well, and I do feel bad for for the guy, Tom Loy included. I mean, you know, the, the guy's just. 
the guy's just doing his job and he's he's connected and he's commenting because he's been given good reason to believe that Justin Scott's on the verge of committing. No, it's not great news. I don't think it's a death knell, especially at this no. at this stage of, of the process. And Pete, you're entirely right. You know, how many five stars are committed uh, at this point? But Chicago kid, you know, location, uh, obviously family has a great deal of respect for Notre Dame and looked like it was going to happen early. I would, you know, I'm not in that group of people that say, oh, it doesn't matter until they sign, or I'm not going to pay attention until they sign. I realize it's harder to hold on to the five stars, but if you get a, if you get a five-star commitment, it's significant. And Notre Dame happened to lose two and or three last year. And that that's, that's tough to absorb. But I think that uh, when things like that happen, it's a learning process and it helps you a little bit better next time, but we'll see about Justin Scott. I, I'm not, I'm not emotionally giving up on, on the notion of him coming to Notre Dame, uh, but it's, it's early. And so we'll see how that, uh, that all, all works out. I did want to mention that um, this week, and I guess I was looking at this wrong because I was thinking these were all bunched in one day. We would have been, we've been worn out by the end of that, but this Friday we will have the media will have an opportunity uh, to sit down with Sam Hartman, Caleb Smith, Devante Jean-Baptiste, and Thomas Harper. Is uh, Schrader not enrolled until summer? We know. You know what, I had, I had not thought that, but it would make sense that since he's not available. He's not, he's not yeah, available. he's not on the list. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, you know, regardless of that, we we, we get the four um, offensive and defensive players, two on offense, two on defense, and all right. I already told O'Malley that I'm pulling rank <laughs> on him here and I got Sam Hartman <laughs> and we'll go from there. Maybe I should, should I talk to Caleb Smith too? Since that's the, I thought you meant Schrader when you said you were pulling rank. Sorry, oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. okay. No, I actually meant Sam Hartman. Okay. Uh, that I would be doing that story, but no, looking forward to that, you know, getting a feel for the, the personalities of all four of these guys. I think, you know, I mean, I, I I think all four of those are very significant to Notre Dame this year. Caleb Smith with the size of receiver and the experience. Thomas Harper replacing Tariq Bracey. Uh, Samson, we got we've got some Tariq Bracey stuff to talk about as we get into our questions and our uh, and my wild gambling, my wild bet with you uh, last week uh, that 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 took a blow here. Based you just upon- pay me the hundred dollars an hour, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, looking forward to that. And then the following Friday, uh, February tenth, there are twelve early enrollees, correct? Because there are twelve on this list, and I believe we're having an opportunity to speak to each one of them. And a quick reminder that would include Jaden Osbury, Drake Bowen, uh, receivers Rico Flores, Jaden Greathouse, and Braylon James, Christian Gray, the cornerback, Devin Houston. Kenny Minchie is uh, has started the semester. Ben Minnick, Sam Pendleton, Adon Schuler, and Preston Zinner. So we'll be having interviews with all these key Nordian players moving forward. Uh, Tim O'Malley, you started a series of stories this week that I encourage you to do every year. It's a good it's a good time to do it. Why don't you explain? It's kind of a it's O'Malley's perception, reality, and perceptions theme. Yeah, it was more fun and actually thought about it because of the last year's freshmen that are becoming sophomores and just how much everything has changed from last year, either when they enrolled early or in the summer. You think about 
Tui Halamaka and Josh Burnham off the top of your head. It was, man, look at this linebacker hall of Sneed, Tui Halamaka, Josh Burnham, and Ziegler. And now it's the two-person linebacker hall with three coming in the next year because they're competing in other positions. And just the the gamut we ran with hearing things that Jalen Sneed was not as ready as we thought, as, okay, as I thought he was going to be when he arrived on campus throughout the summer. But then seeing him in November, seeing him play and thinking, okay, good, whatever. It took a year. Now he's ready again. And I mean, I had Tobias Merriweather down for a minimum freshman year impact of TJ Jones, uh, maybe Kevin Stefferson, because of the considering it's one of six receivers and, out and there. Again, again, that's a perception that was provided to us. Right, right. But like it's fair. It was a fair perception to think Very. there's six wide receivers. Two of them can't play. So Tobias Merriweather might be able to play. And going back to that perception last year versus reality during the season of perception now. Think about Deion Colsey versus Lorenzo Styles or Jaden Thomas versus Lorenzo Styles. Yeah. So much changes in a calendar year, and that's what made me think of this series. It's incredible, really. Um, I mean, we all like Benjamin Morrison. Nobody. Not that much. Nobody. <laughs> nobody yeah. had. I, would, I remember when Pete heard someone tell him in August, this was that magical practice where he decided to just light up Logan Diggs when they weren't really supposed to be hitting each other, and we were all very impressed with Benjamin Morrison because he gave us something to talk about. He's like, yeah, I, I heard that they really love the guy. And then, Pete, you heard, was it the Ohio State game or the Cal it was game? In the, it was before the game, before kickoff at Ohio State, someone was like, yeah, he, he might be the best corner we've signed in 10 years. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> yeah, that is not the perception we had <laughs> as much as we really like him. It's, and think uh, about the perception of Mickey coming out of the spring. Not that yeah. he didn't like him, but he had he had some difficulties in, in the fall. But, yeah, it does change rapidly, and I think it's a good uh, – it's a good well, thing that, that you should continue on a yearly basis. And even a guy like Angeli, I mean, now Sam Hartman's in the way, but Drew Pine's, I mean, Sam Hartman's completely in the way. Drew Pine is gone. Steve Angeli's next calendar year rides a little bit on who stays healthy out of Buckner and Hartman and who makes decisions. It's a strange, it's a strange world we live in now, how things change in one year, but it's, I think it's really interesting for the freshmen and sophomores. Um, but I found one interesting that was, it's going up today, the seniors. What's everyone's current perception of what Chris, of Chris Tyree? Yeah. Compared that to changed. last year at this time. Yeah. It I mean, that, that changed create like that wildly fluctuated during last season. I mean, yeah. remember the, how many questions did Reese get about like Tyree not getting enough touches around like Marshall game. It was like, you're not using Tyree enough. And then by the end of the year, it's like, why are you using Tyree at all? Like it just, it's all over the place. Um, so yeah, the, it's interesting to sort of, we don't do a good job. Like, Royal we of like remembering what our perceptions were yeah. at the time. So this is an interesting exercise that you're doing, O'Malley, about like trying to remember how we felt about this stuff before it happened. The other thing that we forget is that coaches are with the players every single day of their lives on practice. We don't forget that. We don't forget that. <laughs> uh and and so they are seeing a million more times of what we're seeing. And it's not just game productivity, it is. It is on the practice field as well. And so um, I think we all, yeah, we try to, but I mean, I think, you know, I think at some point we're all a little bit guilty of, of not. We definitely are. And, and and someone brought that up to me on Monday musings because I, Pete, I don't know if you saw it, but I put down, there was a, there was a post. Um, Priester was on a Twitter beef with people ripping really? on the Notre Dame linebackers. Oh, yeah, that's what I did that, I? <laughs> and it made it to our board. So once it made it to our board, I chimed in and someone just said, okay, let me know when a linebacker gets home on a blitz. So I, I thought, you know, Jack Kaiser kind of gets home on blitzes. I want to look this up. And Jack Kaiser has the best blitz winning percentage per, at least per pro football focus. 
better than Drew Tranquil at Rover, better than Jeremy Iwusu Koromoro at Rover, and better than Jalen Smith at any position. So Jack Kaiser gets home once in a while on the Blitz. Yep. But I agree. I asked Al Golden why doesn't Kaiser play more last year, and I meant Will because Tariq Bracy. The reason he didn't play more is Tariq Bracy replaced him, which mm-hmm. is absolutely fine. This is what you do: you replace your linebacker with Tariq Bracy in the nickel. But I thought maybe he could play Will. And Gold gave a really good answer, and I read it back today or yesterday. He said, you know, it's really hard to retrain your eyes to be on the outside what you're supposed to be looking at or up versus in the box a little bit. And then he said he's much better at it than he was two and a half months ago. That guy's a senior. Right. It took two and a half months yeah, for Al Golden to think he was better at going back to that. Brilliant that's, senior. Yeah, a brilliant yeah. senior, a football player. That's a tough yeah. – that's how hard it must be to learn. Well, this that's surprising because they they were going to move him to safety against Navy. You know, like I, I sort of use Jack Kaiser as like you you could play him at any of the three linebacker positions yeah. or both safety spots if you really yeah. needed to. I'm not saying it would like go great, but right, right. He he would. I just I view his like one fo- football IQ as like off the charts. Like he would know how to play corner. I'm not saying he could physically do it. Well, he's um, faster than a couple of safeties they had last year anyway. Yeah, so there's fun. no doubt. The whole thing started was my. It was early Saturday morning when, when you were supposed to be off, Tim. <laughs> I was. I was. I actually continued. I was out of town. I was with friends. Uh, Twitter it, follows you everywhere. And at, at a certain point, I felt it was it, 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 my condition indicated I should stop tweeting. Uh, and but it started with somebody saying that Nordame's linebacker core last year was horrid. Horrid, yeah. And I'm like. Okay, time out here. Okay, we we are talking about the number twenty one total defense in the country. Okay, and we all agree that there were times when the defensive line got pushed around a little bit, and we all agree that the safety play was not very consistent. How did they finish twenty first in the nation in total defense? You, they, just Benjamin Morrison, Tim, all the freshmen, then, the all by all by himself. And you know, I mean, everybody knows how I feel about Bertrand and his his productivity. I still don't. I I we watch the games when when Bertrand is defending the run. He's not quick to the ball. He is not. You're telling me he's not quick. The ball is quick goes, to him when he goes d- downhill to the football. I. He's not physical at the point of attack. He's not a productive college linebacker. No. Try to throw a screen alone. on J.D. Bertrand. <laughs> I mean, him alone prevents it from being horrid. And then there's O'Malley's <laughs> stats with Kaiser. Yeah. So that's what I was arguing. And I, you know, I knew what direction it was going to go. And I tried to have fun with it by, you know, maintaining my composure through it all and allowing others to chime in and tell me I'm an idiot others to chime in and say, you know, some people that do have a shred of respect for my opinion about some things and it carried on for a long time, had fun with it, but uh, uh, I try to avoid those as much as possible. And we are going to go to segment two after this burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun here to share the leprechauns game day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. 
Go Irish. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is timely from not Jay to How impactful is the move of Laurinaitis to OSU for the development of our young linebackers? Seems like he was all but their position coach. Does ND have any candidates in mind and who would be a home run hire in your opinion? I don't know who the candidates are, but if, but I'm sure they have some, they of course will replace him. Um, I don't know that ever in my lifetime, I knew of a home run grad assistant hire. I, I don't, I don't have, wait, Bryant Young. I don't have what, yeah. I mean, yeah. Laurinaitis Laurinaitis probably was. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. You can draw the name of a familiar, great football player. That doesn't mean that he's a great, great football coach. Uh, But no, Laurinaitis did a, he did a fine job. Players liked him. I mean, I know Peyton Pierce that, that uh, um, Notre Dame is recruiting, loved Laurinaitis. And now Ohio State just offered uh, Peyton Pierce a, a scholarship. So, that that doesn't help Notre Dame certainly with that prospect, but um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of quality grad assistants out there. Notre Dame will hire one. It'll probably be a name of somebody you've never heard of, and so therefore we won't think he's uh, better than James Laurinaitis. But that isn't necessarily true. In, in terms would... of impact, this is not my information. It's Kevin Sinclair from last year. All right, losing Nick Lazinski last year was a massive deal to the incoming freshmen that were already on campus and the four seniors. Nick Lazinski was their sounding board. He was basically their position coach. He was a bridge that they needed. And then they got James Laurinaitis and he ended up doing a really good job for them. And all of a sudden losing Nick Lazinski was losing a good grad assistant to gain another one. You can get another good grad assistant that doesn't have to be as famous as Laurinaitis Although I will selfishly admit, if Tom Loy's not projection or prediction, but notation of Luke Keekley looking to get into coaching, I'd be pretty happy with that myself. That would be good. That would that would that would be good. But I mean, you know, that's a guy that I mean, he was a great football player and he wants to get into coaching. Like we've heard, I know, I know people are just they would love to see Manti Tail. Manti Tail is not going to be a grad assistant. Somebody suggested because I did that podcast with the with uh, the some of the 88 national championship guys at Pritchett get to Pritchett. I asked those guys off the record if any of them had any desire to be in coaching, and they all said absolutely not. So, you know, I they're they're good candidates out there, and I'm sure Norton will get another one. I mean, Nick Lozinski went from a GA or a GA to a senior defensive analyst, but now he's a power five position coach. Yeah. Like, if James. I think James Laronitis, the coaching acumen, if he got hired at Ohio State as a linebackers coach, that that would say something like, whoa, that's this is a star in the making as a coach. Right now he's still a GA. And like Notre Dame has had a ton of good GAs come through. Some of them are NFL coordinators now. So Kyle McCarthy did a great job too hey, for not being an NFL yeah. coordinator. Hey, he was the safest coach. Hey, remember when they lost Larry Black, the defensive line coach? I mean, they, the, the players were, I don't want to say devastated, but they were really, really disappointed that they lost him. I do think he was a really good coach. There are a lot of GAs leaving is the same as players transferring. It happens like this, just, it, it can't (laughs) not happen. I mean, especially with GAs, you're on a clock. So, I mean, it's, would it be better if they still had learn for sure. Uh, but there's no reason to think they won't find somebody who is a very capable GA. Al Golden, I'm sure, has quite a Rolodex of guys he's worked with throughout the years who could be a fit for that spot. Well, it, it was suggested at some point, 
again, it's message board talk that they should keep Laurinaitis and get rid of Chris O'Leary. Oh my God. I mean, that's a, that's a proven safety coach. Uh, who's a really good coach and, and good recruiter and great representative of Notre Dame. I mean, look, this uh, Lauren Ice went back to his alma mater. That's the old, that's all that happened. Did he do a good job in Notre Dame? I do not deny that at all. I think he did. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I think he had good rapport with the players and obviously with, with Peyton Pierce in particular question from Jimmy ND seven, the defense is expected uh, to see upgraded play in the secondary and at linebacker. Is it a guarantee that they'll take a step back on the defensive line with the underwhelming performance that last of last year, after a lot of hype, is it too optimistic to think they could improve this upcoming year? They lost on paper. They lost their best three linemen, right? Um, I would have to watch an entire spring in August to ever consider that they were going to improve losing Bosky and the Adamiolas, but that is how football is played if you recruit properly and Tyson Ford becomes the next Jason Adamiola. And if Jordan Botello is actually his pressure rate stays at that Jack Kaiser level, Jordan Botello was second, by the way, to Jack Kaiser's pressure rate. If Jordan Botello keeps that pressure rate higher than Isaiah Foskey and JJ Baptiste comes to play, sure, they could be better, but I think it's you can't predict it's going to be better until you see spring August and talk to the coaches. I mean, I would say that it's pretty much a guarantee that the defensive line will take a step back, which doesn't mean the defense will take a step back overall because of the linebackers maybe being better. The secondary maybe being better. Certainly those positions could improve, especially, you know, at, at corner to start the year with Ben Morrison opposed like now opposed to where he was last year is significant, but, um, you know, and then like, look, you got to, I don't know how many times I've said this. I'll just keep saying it. Like they need a Ben Morrison story on the defensive line. And if they get one, I don't know who it would be, but if they get one, then the defensive line has a chance to sort of like hold serve a little bit. Um, but you remove the all-time sacks leader. And I think a couple productive college players and the Adam Malola brothers, like you could replace the Adam Malola brothers. That's Isaiah Foskey. That's, that's the trick that is going to be tough to pull off for Notre Dame. Yeah. I don't know how you're better without Isaiah Foskey. And I, you know, like the line of reasoning here seems to me that because they didn't live up to expectations last year, there's the hope or anticipation that this group is better than them. And I, and I don't, I mean, so much of that is subjective. I, I yeah. you know, Tim, I think you're right. I mean, I, the three best, Defensive lineman, I, I you know, I'd probably argue for Howard Cross's productivity in sure, there sure. as well. Three of the four then. And then yeah, plus yeah, Chris, plus Chris sure. Smith. They still have to replace Chris Smith with Chris Smith yeah. plus. We said that last week. Right. Yeah. I I mean I tend to lean more towards what Pete just said is that it's they almost undoubtedly undoubtedly won't be a, as good just because I mean the veteran nature and the the maturity, the physical maturity and the the concept maturity of the guys that they lost, the Adam Alolas and Foskey. Um, you know, I think Javon, uh, uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste has a chance to be a really good productive pass rusher. I can see his sack numbers being up. I just don't, I'm concerned about how he holds up against the run um, and had that validated by a, um, a, former uh, GA at Ohio state on offensive side. That's now a, a full-time coach uh, in um, FBS. So, 
I don't know, man. You know, I mean, I, 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 I'm not ruling it out. Like an, I, I, I hear people say, well, to Alamaca, you know, how effective of a, a Viper can he be as a six foot two Viper? I think he's very, very, very strong at the point of attack. And I think he's the guy that can help you, you know, against the run. I don't know how good he'll be as a pass rusher. Uh, they need He'll probably be Mills. pretty good dropping into zone coverage more so than your average yeah. defensive end. You know, I mean, I think, you know, they really need Riley Mills to take a, yeah. a major step up consistency wise. I want to, I'm glad you brought that up because speaking of perception versus reality versus perception, we've had a, we've, we had a long year of Riley Mills. We all felt, I think Riley Mills would be the breakout player of last yeah. year's oh, defensive yeah. line. Yeah. Now he and needs to be. Keanu Aina is a guy that will, again, we'll keep an eye on, see whether he remains in the program, uh, Gabe Rubio needs to take a big step up. Um, Tyson Ford is, is there any productivity out of Jason Anye is, is Donovan Heinish in any way somewhat similar to his brother in the ability to play young. He didn't as a, as a true freshman like Kurt, but so, I mean, I, you know, Alex, uh, Aaronsburg has been a program a long time. That's yeah. a, it's a long body that you need on the strong side. Osafa Mensa. I mean, I I have hope there. I agree with Pete saying that. Uh, you know, you probably need. I think you said Pete, uh, one of the freshmen, Triori maybe. I, the two guys I think that I would mention uh, suggest as being able to step up early would would be Triore and um, I think Vernon too. You know, but a Devin Houston's a very strong guy. Uh, Mukum's a probably more of a project. It's just hard to project that that's going to be better. I think you guys made a good point, though. Of uh, the defensive line cannot be as good, but the defense can still be better as long as the defensive line isn't a, like a weakness. This yeah. don't be a weakness. Your linebackers should be better because you're deeper, and your secondary should be better. Well, as long as the linebackers aren't horrid. Anyway, moving on to Medward one three nine one. Fill in the blank. The player with the greatest difference in person. I changed this question a little bit, by the way, Medward, to fit my needs. <laughs> like the player with the greatest difference in perception of talent between fans and coaches slash beat writers, other than JD Bertrand, is we well, already mentioned one, Tim, your guy, your line. Yeah, I think I think most fans understand Kaiser's a good player, though, don't they? I don't know. No, maybe not. Maybe uh, well, I you know, there is a stereotype perception. Yeah, they'd like him more if he was a defensive tackle, is what you're telling me. Right. Um, well, like Clarence Lewis, I think, was better last year than he'll ever get credit for because I'm judging him as a reserve, not as a starter. Is that he helps no, your football would, team? He would be on my list of guys yeah. I would suggest. Um, I mean, Lorenzo Styles, there's a huge gap, I think, for most fans. Perhaps, well, maybe, I mean, my people might have woken up a little bit, but I mean, we didn't have very high hopes for Styles starting around week four, five. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. Week seven or eight, just you know there was something different about Styles. My perception of Styles is he is not going to be a breakout player next year. So if the fan base believes a breakout player is coming, I don't. That's that's opposite of mine. Um, Josh Lug was always one of the guys. Was I shouldn't say always one of the guys. Josh Lug last year was an undervalued player. Uh, he was not necessarily undervalued previous years. I think he might have been appropriately valued by people that watch film, but. He was, I don't know that he ever got credit for the second half of the season. He was, he, it was determined right, right. he wasn't good early on. And so he's not good. And I don't think that that was true. I think there's one player and I hate to, I hate to keep harping on this, but to answer the question, I, the perception of fans 
and media slash coaches of Rocco Spindler is is extremely vast. Yeah, people are. I you know I'd say like Prince Kali. Um, I think there's a perception that he was ready to play, and I think he's just he's still cooking, which is fine. I mean, he was a sophomore, but um, he made a couple plays that were very like see ball get ball type stuff. But when it comes to like reading things out, which like that's not how we we generally watch the game, right? We're seeing where the ball goes and who makes the play. We're not seeing the guy who took a step in a wrong gap or got blocked off. Um, I think Kali's got a lot to learn that way, which again, totally fine for a sophomore. But I think the the fan perception is there because he looks like a big time athlete, and he is that he's got like the the football IQ all down yet, and I think he's still learning quite a bit there. Well, or the or they should play them because their upside is higher. Uh, I mean, that can cost you games now as they're happening. Yeah, I have one the other way from last year. This is for me. I think I think you guys would agree with this. I think the fan base was much higher on Logan Diggs than I was going into last year. And Logan I, Diggs was I excellent last year. And I, Logan Diggs was excellent. I think he I, changed himself as a running back, but he was excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, th- think of the what was the perception of Logan Diggs coming after the Marshall game? All right. Zero, Nobody was carries. like, wow, breakout season coming. And then he got a DNP against Cal. Right. Yeah, that's and then it was just like, holy crap, this guy is exactly what everyone thought he was going to be before he got hurt and before whatever happened in early September happened. Like, he just turned it on. He's a hard runner, man. I have. Oh man, I I love the improvement he made last year. Is just is beautiful to see, man. If you could get, (laughs) if you could get more players to improve that much, you know, from the start of the season to the end of the season, you'd be you'd be really, really good. But there's one player we all agree on, and we should have brought this up in segment one, probably leading off the segment, the great John Sott. Yeah, well, you led off your uh, Monday news <laughs> with it. So, yeah, John Sott ret- has retired from football. On top. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Question from Irish Gambler. What is the, quote, first next step, unquote, for Marcus Freeman for more consistency this season? What bigger picture things would he like to tweak? You ever read on this mm-hmm. question, Pete? Yeah. Uh, first next step. I mean, takes me back to the college football playoff and Brian Kelly. But um, that, that was the reference made by. Yeah, him. I'm sure. This is a astute uh, listener here. Yes, yes, so. um, that was well done. I missed that. Yeah, I would say that not getting into a situation like Ohio State last year, where I really felt like Ohio State beat them twice. Um, you got to figure out how to be better in that kind of mold, like not overly invest in a game that's a quote unquote big game and then have a hangover the next week. Yeah, and I kind of gave him a pass on that because I would have invested the exact same way. But I think you have to have a the ability to, as a second-year head coach, he knows what you have to do the following week to get yourself out of that hole. I would have put everything I had into that game as well, assuming that we could find a way to beat Marshall by two touchdowns. But I think it's I probably obviously the coaching staff's job to make sure everything's taken care of the following week and respecting your opponent that way. And I've been saying this numerous times. I mean, I think that the one of the best things, maybe the best thing that Marcus Freeman showed was the ability to learn from mistakes. And you're right. I mean, they didn't they didn't answer the bell against Marshall. And that's just from inexperience of a head coach not knowing how to 
exactly approach your team the next week and then get them ready for the game. That that happens. I I lived it. I, I get it. Um, I totally understand that. So I think I think you know this is a hard question for me, but I thought I'd just throw it out there because I don't really know what the answer is, at least to the first question, other than I think that he's learned a lot and that alone will help him get over the hump with things. The second question, bigger picture things he would like to tweak. You know, I immediately thought of things that maybe he can't control, like being able to get more grad transfers in, certainly undergrad. Uh, I don't know that that actually answers the question, but that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Next from Martin Evenflow. What is the ideal position for Jalen Sneed? It seems like he is undersized for Viper. Not sure how his coverage skills are for Rover, and he doesn't seem like a will. Are there Jeremiah Usu Koromoa attributes, or is he a great athlete without a position? I thought this was a really, really good question. I do too. Because I'm not really sure. I mean, Viper, no, he's not big enough for that. You can bring him off the edge in pass rush situations. Yeah. We I talked to Sneed, or we talked to Sneed. And um, he mentioned Rover is the hardest part about Rover is covering. And someone immediately joked, yeah, covering slot receivers is tough because obviously he's a 220-pound linebacker. He said, well, yeah, covering tight ends is tough too. And he's a little self-aware on that. He mentioned he does not um, – he is much better going forward. Um, he said his number one attribute as a player right now is a pass rusher, which I think they will use him as on third down next year. But how many guys are you move to Viper? You're not moving. You can't move Sneed to Viper too. They already have a lot of Vipers. Um, I think he's a linebacker Viper. that is learning to play linebacker. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's worth remembering Jeremiah Uskomora. While he was recruited specifically to play Rover, it was a new position. It wasn't until his third year that he actually played it. Yeah. Um, he took two full years to learn. One of them was injury related, but. Um, I think that's Sneed's role. I think he's plenty big to be uh, an outside linebacker and play in space. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I think he could play Will in the future, though. Too, I think Jalen Sneed could play Will. I would like him to play Rover first. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's get one position down before I move him. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's a guy without a position at all. Yeah, I. But we don't know exactly how he fits or how they can utilize him now. But I, you know, I. Rover, I agree. I mean, I think when you add everything up, that has a chance to be his best position. But I agree with you, Tim, that like as much as he, you know, he packed on some some weight and pounds. Yeah, he said 23 to 24 yeah. pounds from the spring. He was 221. He was 197, 198. Yeah, yeah. I could remember when the first time we saw him, I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, look how small he is. <laughs> but he packed it on. And so, I, you know, I think either one of those, but I do think that like in the grand scheme of things, what Notre Dame needs is for him to be a rover. Yeah, that's a good call. Question from Ed underscore bias. When do spring practices start and how much access will the media get during spring ball this year? I assume access is similar. Um, I get the feeling, you know, we kind of felt it was the Ohio State touch last year in August and some of the other things we weren't going to see stuff because they're prepping for Ohio State. I get the feeling, I think Marcus... Um, is way more open to coordinators and coaches and players talking, and he might be a little more closed off than Brian Kelly was about open practices where they hit people. Yeah, by the Could way, be, yeah. I, I mean, mean, spring spring game's the 22nd, so backwards four weeks from that, I need to look at the uh, Notre Dame calendar to see when Notre Dame's spring break is, because, you know, sometimes they'll practice. Yeah. They'll get before spring break and then come back and practice after. I'm not sure what the, the plan is with that at the moment. 
That's a great Brian Kelly idea, and I believe Freeman will continue to follow it because he was on Kelly's staff for a year. When you practice before spring break, the coaches then get a week to evaluate the film and talk about some things that they saw in those first two practices. It's a, it's a brilliant idea, actually, because the players get to leave, but the coaches get to evaluate some stuff for free for a week. When we know when spring practice starts, we will let everybody know. That will. Always... I might be wrong. It's a one-year sample size on Freeman and the practices, but there wasn't a lot open and yeah, had well, options. And there were... remind, remind me again how much access we had last spring. Two full, maybe? Were there two full? I think that sounds about right. We saw the Mickey. Remember Lorenzo Styles got absolutely murdered at the end of a practice? We were at that one. We thought he was out for the year. We thought he was out for the year. Oh, by D.J. Brown, right? Yeah. He wasn't happy either. For, for yeah. what it's worth, um, the spring game is the 22nd. Spring break is the week of Monday the 13th to Friday the 17th. And then you would have five straight weeks to get in the 15 practices. So the schedule the... to me, my hunch would be like they would not start before yeah. spring break. No, and then they just would doesn't just... time out. That was yeah, well. I didn't timing know timing would be over the five weeks. I didn't know the exact date, but I I, I remember um, being hinted at, at that that because of where spring break falls, they probably wouldn't start beforehand. Yeah, it's fun. early enough. And, and uh, FYI, I did float the idea of, you know, a couple longer practices and less of those short practices would be great for the media. And they don't want longer practices available to the media. So <laughs> those those uncomfortable five-period practice reports will remain in the lives of the two Tims here, I believe. Question from Kay Beasley. What players will ultimately get the NFL Combine invite? Should Mayor run the 40? Uh, this actually has already been revealed. Mayor Foskey Patterson Joseph with the invites. And as Tim Priester wrote down here for his wager with Pete Sampson, no Tariq Bracey. That hurts. That hurts. Yeah. It's same. Every, every year, I feel like we, we always feel like guys who are really good at Notre Dame we think will be viewed more favorably in the eyes of the NFL than is the case. I mean, who at the start of last season, you said Jason Adam Malola is not going to be good enough to get an NFL combine. Anybody would be like, what they, what are you talking about? Yeah. But here we are. I mean, Bracey deserves, and I, this has nothing. Our bet, by the way, did I mention, I don't know if everybody heard last week, but I bet Samson a, a, a three digit amount of that. Bracey would be <laughs> Uh, as no, late. it's a lower three digit. It hasn't changed. Yeah, I think it's the lowest possible of the three <laughs> the digits. Possible three digit wager that Bracey would be picked in the fifth round, and he, of course, still can. But I, I just, how can you look at Bracey's tape and Joseph's tape and invite one and not the other? I. That's I mean, we, we talked about this, Joseph. Joseph to me is just like the, such a wild card. I have a hard time understanding how how the NFL season versus how we saw him play for most of last year. Yeah, and I guess this, I I'm I'm not ripping on Joseph as much as I'm saying I think Bracey's college tape will be very impressive to to scouts yeah. looking at it. I, I don't you think? Well, I think the last year and a half plus of Tariq Bracey was maybe even two full years is really good. I think Pete mentioned the last podcast he has two years of bad tape too out there, but uh, that was in the past. That's I mean, that's Joseph a, will have a Joseph will have a horrible year of tape the year before he came to Notre Dame because he couldn't make a tackle. He was injured yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Smith had a bad year of tape. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. 
it, it's the latest stuff that I think really counts. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think Bracey's a finding great nickels. Maybe I may. Okay. Very, very good. Nickels is hard. And I thought he was very, very good. Next question is a twofer. GAJ0026 has Notre Dame started interviewing head bas- head basketball coach candidates yet. Do we have a timeline? Priester's favorite part. And from Kay Sutfin, with the basketball recruiting class falling apart and concerns that the three freshmen this year could look elsewhere, will the state of the roster impact ND, who ND is able to get to take this job? And there's a follow-up here. Is there a leader for the position at this point? All right, we got a lot there. Um, coaches are in season, but as I point out on our message board, everybody has an agent. So of course there, there's contact with agents of the prospects uh, or, or the candidates. And I've mentioned them DeVries at Drake, uh, Shrewsbury at Penn state, Kelsey at Charleston. I think those are the top three. I don't think that that has changed. I do think that the list has probably expanded a little bit and I'm trying to find out exactly who's on that expansion. Um, the free three freshmen that are, that are signed that were signed to asked to be released from their letter of intent. So that's not good. They could still end up in Nordane, but I think that's doubtful now. And if I had to name a leader for the position, I do think, and I think we talked about this last week, Pete, with, with, uh, Brian Hamilton chiming in from the athletic. I do think I would say, I would guess Shrewsbury would be the top choice. They just hammered Michigan recently. Tim, did but, you mean to say um, Bill Self and Billy Donovan when you're doing this? Because I think that's where their name should aim for when they're aiming they high. Aim they high. Yeah, they haven't quite passed. Popovich the, did not get in there, did he? Okay. But, uh, and I do think, I don't think, uh, Ohio State can't be dissatisfied with Chris Holtman yet, right? I mean, they went to the NCAA tournament the last four years and he went to the last his three last three years at Butler. People get dissatisfied with dumb stuff. So you never know. I mean, they're having a, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. They uh, wanted to fire Ryan day after last season. So yeah, I, know, I know, but hearing some rumblings that maybe Ohio state's dissatisfied with Chris Holtman, yeah. I think Notre Dame would absolutely love to talk to Chris. Holtman. I think those, uh, yeah, those rumblings were started on a message board by someone with the handle Swarbrick underscore ND. I don't know. It's, that would be those would be great rumblings for Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this yesterday in Monday musings. Delaware assistant at Kansas, which is a prime job, interim head coach in the NF or the NBA, fifteen years after his prime in Fordham. Those are the four last hires for Notre Dame. College of Charleston and Drake and all these other schools. That's that's where you're looking for most yeah. hirings these days, unless you're North Carolina and Kansas. And I guess Florida shells out and gets some crazy guys down there too, but it's usually it is an up and coming coach, which is great for Notre Dame. An up and coming recruiter would be even better. I mean, I think That's I think Notre Dame's place in the college of basketball ecosystem, like they they're an up and comer. UCLA gets they're not like a Ben Holland. That is UCLA pulling Ben Holland. Like those are Mick Cronin, Ben Holland. Those are different things that happen. That yes, you know, I still think Notre Dame is a it's. Long term, it's a good job. You're in ACC. They've had. Sure. That's experience. why they should get a good up and coming coach to do a good job. Right, exactly. Yeah. But but the state of the roster, I've written, I wrote about this like twice within eight days. I mean, the state of the roster is really, really in jeopardy, especially losing two of the three freshmen that signed. 
You've got to keep Van Allen. I think J- you've got to keep Lubin, Starling, and Campbell. Yeah. I mean, I think Campbell's Campbell has basketball ability. He needs to needs to fine tune his body, but he has ability, and they need a they need a a, a banger like that. But then you know the remain you're losing six uh, grad students, and the remainder of your roster is yeah. Zona Sanders, Konesny. It's a you're going to need at least four or five transfers. And you I don't you are, and this we should bring this up because I teased it. Um, I heard over the weekend. This kind of goes to what Priester said last week about it's hard to get in an undergrad transfer, and I immediately questioned it and listed the litany of undergrad transfers Notre Dame basketball got in. Well, I found out over the weekend that was pre. This is the best way to say it: pre immediate eligibility. Okay, in other words. If those transfers, academics did the, and credits did not line up exactly perfectly, they had a year at Notre Dame to line those up exactly perfectly. Two semesters. Become, two semesters. Yeah, what? Yeah, two semesters to become Notre Dame students that fit properly. Trey Wirtz does not count. He came in during COVID, and it took an act of God to get Trey Wirtz immediately eligible for crying out loud during COVID. That was the weirdest thing in the world. Well, and so I, and grads I, transfers are probably the new norm after incredible success with undergrad transfers. And I was told that Cormac Ryan, and to your point, Tim, he had a year, he had a buffer year. Uh, Not that he was a bad student. I mean, he came from Stanford and there were, (laughs) there were questions about his transcripts moving over. I mean, uh, that's, that's really hard for me to believe, but uh, this is a university of Notre Dame, man. And it has always, it always has been, and probably always will be difficult. Certainly more difficult than a lot of the heavyweights Notre Dame competes against for uh, you know transfer talent. Question: Pat Eilers got in, so there, fine. Never get anybody you want. Yeah. Uh, question for I, actually, I'm gonna we're gonna be quick on these last two. I want to throw another one in. Denver Maximus, who isn't on here a lot, but he asks good questions. Was Sam Hartman most likely to start a quarterback next year? What type of offense? You feel Notre Dame will uh, will implement? Does Notre Dame finally have the skill personnel on offense to stretch the field more with Michael Mayer gone? Will we see more four four wide receiver sets? You know, with that many good running backs, I don't know about more five four wide receiver sets. I'm happy with three wide receiver sets. I think you'll see more of that. Great, I do think you, great. yeah. Certainly think you'll see less two point five tight end sets and three tight end sets because Michael Mayer was a wide receiver. That was massive and a tight end at the same time. So that's the only thing I, I would know. Uh, my speculation is that there will be a some heavy play action downfield attacking from Tommy Reese with Sam Hartman and his running backs in his offensive line. Yeah, I think that Hartman will stretch the field um, because of Sam Hartman as much as Notre Dame's receivers being upgraded. Like Sam Hartman game is to push the ball vertically, to throw people open, to throw to spaces instead of throwing to the man who is waiting for the ball. So it's, I just think the style of passing game will be different in terms of how aggressive it's going to be. Um, You know, is the offense going to look radically different than what they tried to run in the Gator bowl? Maybe not. Um, You know, that's, that was without Michael Mayer. I don't, the next set where they have, four receivers out there at once will be the first time they do that. Um, but I think a lot of 21 personnel, LL 11 personnel, that will be the style of personnel that they use. I think Braden Lindsay's going to watch Notre Dame games this fall and say, 
Damn. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was open on that route last year. <laughs> yeah. They're going to stretch the field. I mean, I, you know, I, there was a Twitter question about, or maybe it was more of a comment about Hartman being a system quarterback and it won't translate. What, what, what do we, I don't know what we're talking about with that, but no, I think they're going to push it downfield. And I think you've got to, You've got some quality running backs, and if you can solve your issues of youth at an inexperience at guard, it's got to be a pretty. It, it's got a chance to be a pretty dynamic offense, and that and and we lead to the last question that I'm adding to this, guys, that you don't have. It's from Caden MC. Does Notre Dame finally average forty points per game in 2023? Um, I put a total at will they average more than 37? And to most people in Monday musings, I turned over the prediction to the to the board. By the way, Pete, if you didn't know that, the difference between thirty-seven and forty can be that's that's a it's a big difference. I I say they will be under. I will be under forty until I see until I see them play. Then I'm allowed to change. But I think they'll be under forty. Under forty, only five or six teams average forty per year. Um, I don't. I guess in twenty twenty, eleven teams did. but 40, 40 points with a head coach who's like, we want to be an offensive line, defensive line driven program. Like those two things don't necessarily line up. Um, and really like, look, I want to see Notre Dame score 35 uh, against Ohio State right. or 20, against- 28 against USC or 27 against Clemson. Like whether you score 67 against Tennessee State or not, um, to get to 40 points doesn't matter a whole lot to me. Which, which is why the 2019 team is the highest scoring of all these recent years because they New played Mexico. New Mexico and Bowling yeah. Green. That's I was going to say the exact same thing. The key is scoring 37 against the right teams, the teams but, that yeah. need to score 37 against. Uh, I think they can I think they can push to that number, uh, but I think you're absolutely right. It's The actual number doesn't matter. It's do you score – do you – do you go on the 75-yard touchdown drive uh, when you're at NC State, you know, and you and you have to do it or whoever? Because I do think the schedule will be more challenging this week uh, or this year, uh, as as I know some of our fans were, were were talking about when the schedule first came out. But anyway, we're going to wrap up with that. Okay, we are returning on Monday. Am I correct about that? You are correct. We are trying to get back to uh, Monday of next week. And uh, we'll let you know about the following week. I didn't. What did we say on that? Did we say Tuesday the following week? We said Tuesday. A good Valentine's Day podcast. Yeah. I don't think that's. I think we had one last year, didn't we? I don't think that's the first time we've had a. I think we should do it annually from now on because it's the middle of February and we might as well just do it that day. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back on Monday and next week. We appreciate you joining us once again. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.